Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger. We're going to read Official Declaration 1, which is at the end of the Doctrine and Covenants, and Official Declaration 2. And some historical background on Official Declaration 1. Um, what is the difference between an official declaration and a proclamation, right? Because we've had a couple proclamations um, given recently during my lifetime. And a church news article explains that generally declarations and statements are directed at Latter-day Saints, while proclamations are meant to reach beyond the scope of the church membership. Proclamations are directed to the world. And that's from Church News, April 2020. And that's kind of, that's kind of cool to think about. Um, and official declaration one manifesto would have been a clear message to the church but also to certain government officials who were accusing the church of legally or of illegally practicing plural marriage and um here's some important events and plural marriage uh i talked to you guys you boys about this one and it's where like where one man can have multiple wives and it was for the purpose of like having more people sealed, um, more families to be able to be sealed um, in the temple and to have eternal, eternal families. It was supposed to, you know, help with that. And here are some important events and details that led up to the manifesto. Um, because with any commandments from the Lord, and I explained to you guys how this was one of those Abrahamic uh, commandments where it was super hard for the saints to, um, to do, and that it was something that Joseph Smith had been putting off for a while um, because he didn't feel like it would go over well with Emma. And so... I think it was about 10 years that he had put it off. And finally, an angel of the Lord, just like an angel of the Lord came to stop Abraham from killing Isaac, an angel from the Lord came to Joseph and told him that he needed to um, tell the saints of this revelation and start practicing it. Um, and that that was what he had to do or else... They, he was threatening his life and so um and so of course joseph finally had to do it and okay so here's some important events okay oh and what i was saying was like any other commandment some people were able to obey the commandment really well some people um were not and actually you were only invited to participate in plural marriage the plural marriage covenant um or commandment and it wasn't something that you could just start doing on your own but you had to be invited to do that and so some people felt like it was something that they wanted to do and even though they weren't commanded to do it and so they just started practicing it and and doing it some people did it in a bad way and were tricking people to marry them and things like that and and so it was just you know with a lot of commandments that the lord has given some people are really good at being obedient some people are not and some people make it even worse and take it super far and anyway and there are stories of women who women and men who thought this was 
a really hard commandment, but then they actually liked it. And then some women and men who thought this was a not so bad commandment, so super easy to, you know, be obedient to, and they loved it. And, and some who thought that they would be obedient, but that it was like the hardest thing that they'd ever done. And there's lots of stories in the book Saints, and I recommend you guys read that. Um, but it, it does take some, a lot of faith to realize that that was a commandment from the Lord and that, you know, just like commandments from the Lord now, some of them are harder to obey for some people than others. And this would have definitely been a commandment that I would have had a hard time with, but the Lord has not commanded us to do that again. Um, and so that's probably why I'm born in these latter days because <laughs> the Lord knows who I am. And um, I did like how when I shared it with you guys, you guys were like, it would be hard to have two moms. <laughs> and we would do chores all the time. And I'm like, oh man, actually it might be good to have two moms because then I wouldn't be the only one bossing you guys around trying to get you to do your chores. <laughs> and it would be easier. I don't know. Um, but then it would also be really hard because, you know, some parents in just a regular marriage contradict each other so imagine like being a mom and then the other mom is trying to be the fun mom and you're like the mean mom and vice versa like that would be so hard so I can totally see how it would be hard but during Christmas it might be nice because then you get a bunch of extra presents from your two moms <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> the bored husbands you know um anyway so here's some information says the governor of Utah, Stephen Harding, not a member of the church, introduced a bill into Congress making polygamy illegal. So that's another word um, for plural marriage was polygamy. And Abraham Lincoln signed a bill on July 1862, or signed that bill. Um, the church believed this law was unconstitutional and took a case to the Supreme Court. On May 5th, 1879, the Supreme Court upheld the law. So basically... They were trying to fight to keep plural marriage going, but then the the Constitution and, and the government was like, no, no, no. In 1882, another bill was passed against those who practiced plural marriage, and their right to vote was taken away. They also could not hold office, so began segregating and things like that from, from that. So it's interesting how back then um, the Latter-day Saints were the ones who first encountered segregation because of their beliefs and um and how it was really like hard for them at the time to to do that and now it's crazy to think that there's people thinking that we're trying to oppress them and things like that when we actually know what it's like you know to be segregated against hello Faust good morning how are you good what are you wearing Ooh. Okay, we're going to pause for a minute. Well, that was fun. Andy came and brought some gloves to Faust because he needed some gloves super bad, huh? Okay, um, and it was super hard to find some at Walmart. They didn't have anything. So he must have known that he needed some. Okay, and then 
In March 1887, another bill passed that brought a lot of hardship for the church. This bill threatened to confiscate most church property, anything valued over 50000 though they promised to leave temples alone, dissolved the perpetual emigration fund, the fund used to help saints move to Utah and would therefore stop saints moving from Europe. Disincorporated the church, by the way, there's a perpetual education fund, which um, is awesome too because it, or at least they started, I don't know if they need to continue it or not, but it is to help people who cannot afford to get an education to get an education. And actually, I think maybe with those funds, that's how they started the BYU Idaho Online, which is the Pathways program, which allows uh, people who want to get an education to get one super, 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 super cheap. Like I would start um, if I go to back if I go back to school, I would take the Pathways program, and then from graduating from the Pathways program, then I could go to either BYU or BYU Idaho. Um, and so, anyway, so. Uh, it's pretty cool to see that there was a perpetual emigration fund. Um, anyway, so as to... Uh, oh, and dis- disincorporated the church and established public education, which is awesome, right? Because I just talked about that. It also took away women's suffrage in Utah, which is the right for women to vote in elections. This was a time when the government was actively persecuting the church and seeking to destroy it. All of these actions against the church impacted their ability to build temples, publish books, and other necessary items, and do missionary work to gather Israel. Crazy that the government felt super strongly about this. So during this time, the prophet was John Taylor, and he had been forced into hiding. Marshals were hunting down those who were practicing polygamy. Over a hun- over a thousand men were arrested. President Taylor's health was not good, and in, on July 25th, 1887, while still in hiding, he died. Wilford Woodruff, who was also in hiding, became the next prophet. Persecution against the church continued, and by spring 1890, the Cullum Strubble Bill was introduced, which would have taken away the rights of citizenship from all church members. Also, with the loss of voting rights for so many, and, and the Latter-day Saints were the first to have anything... Um, were the first to have their rights to vote taken away like that and so like we have been there first before anybody else you know um we have suffered those injustices first and it's just interesting how in history we don't cover like in your history class you're not going to learn a ton about how the latter-day saints were the first people to um not be able to vote or not be able to um to live normal lives like we we were persecuted and you know the government like oppressed us and you know all these things and but in history you're not going to learn that even though we were part of making history and you may not learn i because i didn't even know that joseph smith ran for president and was the first presidential candidate to be assassinated like how come we don't learn this stuff you know um and so the latter-day saints were instrumental in like government and and making a difference in 
kind of setting up like states and helping women get voting rights and things like that. But they don't talk about that anywhere. Um, Okay. Also, with the loss of voting rights, so many members, the Utah Liberal Liberal Party was gaining power and the active they actively sought to block the voting rights for many saints. Due to the increasing blocking of voting rights, anti-Mormons won control over the education system and most elected offices in Salt Lake. In addition, President Woodruff learned that government intended to com- confiscate the temples. Could you imagine if our temples were confiscated by government? Oh, that'd be the worst. Um... On September 24th, 1890, President Woodruff wrote, I have arrived at a point in the history of my life as the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where I am under the necessity of acting for the temporal salvation of the church. The United States government has taken a stand and passed laws to destroy the Latter-day Saints on the subject of polygamy or patriarchal order of marriage. And after praying to the Lord and feeling inspired, I have issued the following proclamation, which is sustained by my counselors and 12 apostles. The manifesto follows. Um, Okay, so we're gonna get, we're gonna read the official declaration one. And Let's see, where can I go to read that here? Okay. The Bible and the Book of Mormon teach that monogamy is God's standard for marriage, unless he declares otherwise. And then you can find those in 2 Samuel 12, 7 to 8, or Jacob chapter 2, 27, uh, verses 27 and 30. Following a revelation to Joseph Smith, the practice of plural marriage was instituted among church members in in the early 1840s. See section 132. From the 1860s to the 1880s, the United States government passed laws to make this religious practice illegal. These laws were eventually upheld. These laws were eventually upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court after receiving revelation. President Wilford Woodruff issued the following manifesto, which was accepted by the Church as authoritative and binding on October 6, 1890. This led to the end of the practice of plural marriage in the Church. To whom it may concern, press dispatches having been sent for political purposes from Salt Lake City, which have been widely published to the effect that the Utah Commission, in their recent report to the Secretary of the Interior, allege that plural marriages are still being solemnized and that 40 or more such marriages have been contracted in in, in Utah since last June or during the past year. Also that in public discourses, the leaders of the church have taught, encouraged, and urged the continuance of the practice of polygamy. I, therefore, as president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, do hereby, in the most solemn manner, declare that these charges are false. We are not teaching polygamy or plural marriage, nor permitting any person to enter into this practice, and I deny that either 40 or any other number of plural marriages have during that period been solemnized in our temples or in any other place in the territory. One case has been reported in which the parties allege that the marriage was performed in the endowment house in Salt Lake City in the spring of 1889, but I have not been able to learn who performed the ceremony. Ceremony, Whatever was done in this manner was without my knowledge. In consequence of this alleged occurrence, the endowment house was, by my instructions, taken down without delay. Inasmuch as laws have been enacted by Congress forbidding plural marriages, which laws have been pronounced constitutional by the court or by the court of last resort? I hereby declare my intention to submit to those laws and to the use 
and to use my influence with the members of the church over which I preside to have them do likewise. There is nothing in my teachings to the church or in those of my associates during the time specified which can be reasonably constructed, construed to indicate or to in, in inculcate or encourage polygamy and when an elder of the church has used language which appeared to convey uh, any such teaching he has been promptly reproved and i now publicly declare that my advice to the latter-day saints is to refrain from contracting any marriage forbidden by the law of the land wilford woodruff president of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints President Lorenzo Snow offered the following. I move that recognizing Wilfred Woodruff as the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the only man on the earth at the present time who holds the keys of the sealing ordinances, we consider him fully authorized by virtue of his position to issue the manifesto, which has been read in our hearing and which is dated September 24, 1890, and that as a church in general conference assembled, we accept his declaration concerning plural marriages as authoritative and binding. Salt Lake City, Utah, October 6, 1890. And then excerpts from three addresses by President Wilfred Woodruff regarding the manifesto. It was probably because they had questions, maybe, so they needed more information. The Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of this church to lead you astray. It is not in the program. It is not in the mind of, the, of God. If I were to attempt that, the Lord would remove me out of my place, and so he will any other man who attempts to lead the children of men astray from the oracles of God and from their duty. 61st Semiannual General Conference of the Church, Monday, October 6, 1890. Salt Lake City, Utah reported it in Deseret Evening News, October 11, 1890. It matters not who lives or who dies or who is called to lead this church. They have, not, they have got to lead it by the inspiration of Almighty God. If they do not do it that way, they cannot do it at all. I have had some revelations of late and very important ones to me, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me. Let me bring your minds to what is termed the manifesto. The Lord has told me to ask the Latter-day Saints a question, and he also told me that if they would listen to what I said to them and answer the question put to them by the spirit and power of God, they would all answer alike and they would all believe alike with regard to this matter. The question is this, which is the wisest course for the Latter-day Saints to pursue, to continue to attempt to practice plural marriage, which the laws of the nation against it and the op opposition of 60 millions of people and at the cost of the confiscation and loss of all temples and the stopping of all the ordinances therein, both for the living and the dead and the imprisonment of the First Presidency and Twelve and the heads of families in the church and the confiscation of personal property of the people, all of which of themselves would stop the practice or after doing and suffering what we have through our adherence to this principle to cease the practice and submit to the law and through doing so leave the prophets, apostles, and fathers at home so that they can instruct the people and attend to the duties of the church and also leave the temples in the hands of the saints so that they can attend to the ordinances of the gospel both for the living and the dead oh hello hi flores look at dad already okay so we are going to take this poopy flores <laughs> and change her diaper and we're gonna uh finish here okay 
So now we are continuing reading. Okay, the Lord showed me by vision and revelation exactly what would take place if we did not stop this practice. If we had to, if we had not stopped it, you would have had no use for any of the men in this temple at Logan, for all ordinances would be stopped throughout the land of Zion. Confusion would reign throughout Israel, and many men would be made prisoners. This trouble would have come upon the whole church, and we should have been compelled to stop the practice. Now the question is whether it should be stopped in this manner or in the way the Lord has manifested to us and leave our prophets and apostles and fathers free men and the temples in the hands of the people so that the dead may be redeemed. A large number has already been delivered from prison from the prison house in the spirit world by this people and shall the work go on or stop? This is the question I lay before the Latter-day Saints. You have to judge for yourselves. I want you to answer it for yourselves. I shall not answer it, but I say to you that it is that is exactly the condition we as a people would have been in had we not taken the course we have. Okay, right in there, I'm going to read here from Bruce Armour Conkey. There's a little commentary. It says, plural marriage. Um, sorry, let's start right. Yes. Plural marriage is not essential to salvation or exaltation. Nephi and his people were denied the power to have more than one wife, and yet they could gain every blessing in eternity that the Lord ever offered to any people. In our day, the Lord summarized by revelation the whole doctrine of exaltation and pre and predicted it upon the marriage of one man and one woman. Therefore, he added the principles of relative to to plurality of wives with the express stipulation that any such marriages would be valid only if authorized by the president of the church. Okay, and that's from Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon Doctrine, pages 578 to 579. Um, And I like that. And another quote by Charles, or President Charles W. Penrose, he says, celestial marriage is essential to a fullness of glory in the world to come, as explained in the revelation concerning it. But it is not stated that plural marriage is thus essential. And this was, he was in the first presidency, and this was published in the Improvement Era, September 1912. Um, I'm sure that back then people were really curious about that because everybody, like, everybody that was, like, higher-ups were doing it and so that's probably why um they needed to ask and clarify um and then there's this other um this other quote by president wilford wilford woodruff he declared that the charges are false he continued we are not teaching polygamy or plural marriage nor permitting any person to enter into this practice um acknowledging that the supreme court had decided in opposition, in allowing plural marriage, President Woodruff continued, I hereby declare my intention to submit to these laws and to use my influence with the members of the church over which I preside to have them do likewise. So it was just a lot of a lot of having to confirm that to the public through news and everything like that. Once, once they had that manifesto um and then in the introduction to the official declaration you know we read the bible and the book of mormon teach that monogamy is god's standard for marriage unless he declares otherwise just like murder is not god's standard but then he still asked um abraham to 
sacrifice his son, right? Like, it's the same thing. And we don't do things um, against God's commandments unless he specifically asks. Now, that does not mean that we can uh, do whatever we think because we think that the Lord commanded us. Um, I think this specifically applies to prophets and apostles only. Um, and the revelations that we get, the Lord would make sure that they are in line with the laws of the land. Um, cause I know that there are some religions which, um, talk about or which maybe encourage people's actions against other people. Um, for example, like the, the twin towers, nine eleven. Um, they, it was some people who were really passionate about, um, about that they needed to sacrifice themselves to kill a bunch of people on a plane. Like, I don't even know where you get those ideas and they're super warped, but they believed that they needed to do something for a cause and to sacrifice themselves for it. And that's that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Like the Lord's never going to command us to do something um, that's going to hurt other people um, like that or go against the laws of the land like that. So just keep that in mind, you know, when you're saying like, oh, well, I was, I, you know, the Lord inspired me to do that. And if it has anything to do with like hurting somebody else or hindering somebody else's ability to do something um, positive or if you feel like you need to go egg somebody's house that is not of the lord okay (laughs) or if even if you need to speed you know that's not that's not gonna be of the lord because he's never going to command us to do something that is against the laws of the land Unless, like, the laws of the land are, like, you have to drink coffee. And then, you know, obviously, it's not going to be that way. But, um, okay. So, we're going to keep reading. I saw exactly... Okay, hold on. I, sh- I need to do some walking, though, actually. Because I haven't been doing any of my workout today. Oh. Okay, I saw exactly what would come to pass... If there was not something done, I have had this spirit upon me for a long time. But I want to say this. I should have let all the temples go out of our hands. I should have gone to prison myself and let every other man go there. Had not the God of heaven commanded me to do what I did do. And when the hour came that I was commanded to do that, it was all clear to me. I went before the Lord and I wrote what the Lord told me to write. I leave this with you for you to contemplate and consider. The Lord is at work with us. Um, And this was given at Cash State Conference, Logan, Utah. Sunday, November 1st, 1891. And it says, now I will tell you what what was manifested to me and what the son of God performed in this thing. All these things would have come to pass as God almighty lives had not the manifesto been given. Therefore the son of God felt disposed to have that thing 
presented to the church and to the world for purposes in his own mind. The Lord had decreed the establishment of Zion. He had decreed the finishing of his, this temple. He had decreed that the salvation of the living and the dead should be given in these valleys of the mountains. And Almighty God decreed that the devil should not thwart it. If you can understand that, that is a key to it. And then that's from Discourses at the Sixth Session of the Dedication of the Salt Lake Temple, April 1893, typescript of Dedicatory Services, Archives, Church Historical Department, Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay, so that is the end of Official Declaration 1. Okay, and there was some, and we're going to go into Declaration 2. There's some historical background on this one. Um, So I'm just going to read it from the Redheaded Hostess. I really love this beginning part, though. Okay, it says, the official declaration, too, is the formal announcement by the first presidency that the priesthood was now available to all men, regardless of race. The church had always had an open membership policy, meaning that anyone could be baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. However, from 1852 until... 1978 men of african descent could not receive the priesthood and men and women of african descent could not participate in the temple endowment or sealing ordinances when joseph smith was prophet there were black men who received the priesthood um and this and now i'm going off of what i learned from a different podcast and what's interesting was when brigham young was in leadership in a different part of the world or different part of where they were serving um, Brigham Young's leadership. Under Brigham Young's leadership, a policy was instituted that restricted this, um, but there was no doctrinal reason given for the ban. And so um, there's, there's um, here's another, actually, let me read this quote. And then it says, the origins of priesthood availability are not entirely clear some explanations with respect to this matter were made in the absence of direct revelation and references to these explanations are sometimes cited in publications. These previous personal statements do not represent church doctrine. So um, basically Brigham Young was the one that instilled this policy but there was a lot of and and then where where Joseph Smith was he was ordaining people um and and having them receive the priesthood and and I think there's record of um a black man being ordained to office of 70 and anyway like this is what I w- was learning from the talking scriptures podcast and i recommend you guys totally go listen to that one because it was so good on this um but anyway what i really love was that based on the circumstances that they were in was the reason or brigham young was in was the reason that he instituted the ban and um for those who were African descent not to be able to receive the priesthood. Now, remember the country was in the early years 
they practiced having slaves and um that was something that like the south was doing and um and but something that that Brigham Young did was he still did not restrict um black or white members from attending congregation and like sacrament meetings and things like that together. He was not um, segregating them, but that was a time when there were religions who were segregating their congregations that way, but he did not do that and instead had the policy instituted that restricted the African-American descent uh, people, brothers and sisters, or brothers from receiving the priesthood. So as you can see, I'm not super versed in this because I keep pausing and saying, and uh, so I'm trying to formulate my words correctly because uh, I, I want to make sure I don't offend anyone um, because I, I actually grew up um, going to middle school and high school in a predominantly black uh, neighborhoods. And so those were the schools that I chose to go to because I was receiving a lot of hate in my elementary school, which was predominantly white. And so I asked my mom if I could switch the middle school I was going to and the high school I was going to because I didn't want to go to the same school as those people. And so I actually ended up getting bused to those schools um, because I didn't want to go to the one that was local to me. Um, so I can totally understand um, how the segregation worked because people don't want to be where they're going to be bullied. People want to be where they're going to feel peace and at home and so anyway um here's another uh, quote it's from the church article race and the priesthood and it explains for much of his for much of its history from the mid 1800s until 1978 the church did not obtain ordain men of black african descent to its priesthood or allow black men or women to participate in temple endowment or sealing ordinances. The church was established in 1830 during an era of great racial division in the United States. At the time, many people of African descent lived in slavery and, and racial distinctions, and prejudice were not just common but customary among white Americans. Those realities, though unfamiliar and disturbing today, influenced all aspects of people's lives, including their religion. Many Christian churches of that era, for instance, were segregated along racial lines. From the beginnings of the church, people of every race and ethnicity could be baptized and received as members. Toward the end of his life, church founder Joseph Smith openly opposed slavery. And in fact, it was part of his platform when he was running for president, which was probably another reason why he got assassinated because rich people love their slaves, right? Like who doesn't like having someone that's doing their chores for them all the time? I love that, but here you go. You got to pay for that, okay? That's a service that people can do and that's why we pay for them. 
uh, or that's why we pay them to do that service. They're not our slaves. They're our brothers and sisters. Um, so it's really sad that that's how they did. But anyways, okay, we're continuing with the quote. In 1852, President Brigham Young publicly announced that men of black African descent could no longer be ordained to the priesthood. Through the, though therefore blacks continue to join the church through baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Following the death of Brigham Young, subsequent church presidents restricted blacks from receiving the temple endowment or being married in the temple. Over time, church leaders and members advanced many theories to explain the priesthood and temple restrictions. None of these explanations is accepted today as the official doctrine of the church. Let's remember that says none of these explanations is accepted today as the official doctrine of the church. So if you read anything that is any at all racist or like that, then you know that it is not of God and that the church did not, um, agree with those theories, right? Okay. Brigham Young and other church leaders did not believe this ban would last forever. They believed that black members would one day receive the priesthood and temple blessings. This topic weighed heavily upon the mind of President Spencer W. Kimball. His son, Edward Kimball, wrote an insight article about his father in its stead. Heavily upon the mind of Spencer w., President Spencer W. Kimball. His son, Edward Kimball, wrote an insightful, art- insightful article about his father in it. This, in it, he said, President Kimball felt that his predecessors had sought the Lord's will concerning the priesthood policy, and for whatever reason, the time had not come. But Spencer had to ask anew. He wanted urgently to find out firsthand what the Lord thought about it. It was not enough just to wait until the Lord saw fit to take the initiative. The scripture admonished him to ask and to knock if he wanted to know for himself. He prayed, trying not to prejudge the answer. Should we maintain the longstanding policy or has the time come for the change? He received no immediate answer to his prayers. In June 1977, Spencer invited at least three general authorities to give him memos on the implications of the subject. Elder McConkie wrote a long memorandum concluding that there was no scriptural barrier to to a change in policy that would give priesthood to black men. During the months leading up to June 1978, President Kimball spoke with the Twelve repeatedly about the question, asking them to speak freely. He invited associates who had not expressed themselves in the group setting to talk with him in private. He seemed so intent on solving the problem that others worried about him. A neighbor of the Kimballs, Richard Vernon, had noticed that Spencer seemed somewhat withdrawn. Normally relaxed and comfortable with friends in his ward, Spencer responded to one inquiry that was not feeling well and changed the topic. That or with one inquiry that he was not feeling well and changed the topic. Many in the ward had noticed the difference and felt concerned. Many also noticed that Camilla was anxious and worried about Spencer. Elder Packer, concerned at President Kimball's inability to let the matter rest, said, why don't you forget this? Then Elder Packer answered his question. 
because you can't. The Lord won't let you. Spencer W. Kimball and the Revelation on the Priesthood by Edward L. Kimball, BYU Studies. That was... I love that. Um, Ultimately, there came the time where the Lord revealed his answer. In the temple, the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve knelt around the altar while President Kimball prayed. The Lord answered, and as Elder McConkie described, the Spirit of the Lord rested mightily mightily upon us all we felt something akin to what happened on that on the day of pentecost and at the dedication of the kirtland temple from the midst of eternity the voice of god conveyed by the power of the spirit spoke to his prophet and we heard the same voice received the same message and became personal witnesses that the word received was the mind and the will and voice of the lord that's awesome Okay, so with that, we're going to go to declaration, official declaration two. And poor Flora, she's not, she's getting so tired right here. Oh, yes, you want this? There you go. Oh, never mind. I guess she just wanted the cap. <laughs> oh, boy, Flora, you're a good Flora. Okay. Um, sorry, I am in the wrong spot here. Okay, official declaration two. The Book of Mormon teaches all teaches that all are alike unto God, including black and white, bond and free, male and female. In Second Nephi twenty six thirty three, throughout the history of the church, people of every race and ethnicity in many countries have been baptized and live and have lived as faithful members of the church. During Joseph Smith's lifetime, a few black male members of the church were ordained to the priesthood. Early in its history, church leaders stopped conferring the priesthood on black males of African descent. Church records offer no clear insights into the origins of this practice. Church leaders believed that a revelation from God was needed to alter this practice and prayerfully sought guidance. The revelation came to church president Spencer W. Kimball and was affirmed to the other church leaders in the Salt Lake Temple on June 1st, 1978. The revelation removed all restrictions with regard to race that once applied to the priesthood. To whom it may concern, on September 30th, 1978. I told you guys that I... Felt like I was there when this was read during conference, but it wasn't, I wasn't there because this was in 1978 and I wasn't even born. It was two years later that I would be born. And my parents, well, my dad was very racist against our black brothers and sisters and I grew up going to a middle school, predominantly black, and those people were so kind to me versus the white people who I had gone to school with um, in elementary school. And to hear my dad be so racist towards them, it just really hurt my feelings, you know, because those are such good people, you know. And even in high school... Um, 
I had a bunch of friends who were black. Sadly, I'm not in contact with any of them anymore. But I had a lot of friends. Anyway, um, so let me, fit, let, me see, let me read it. See if we can get through it. And maybe, maybe I, I felt like I'm, I heard it when I was 14 and I don't know with, I don't know if I was listening to a conference report that was being rebroadcast or if somebody during conference was quoting this or something, but I just remember learning this when I was about 14 and just thinking that that was the best news ever. <laughs> but I guess my spirit just was there um, in real life anyway. So it just kind of has that extra connection, you know. So on September 30th, 1978, at the 148th semi-annual general conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the following was presented by President N. Eldon Tanner, first counselor in the first presidency of the church. In early June of this year, the First Presidency announced that a revelation had been received by President Spencer W. Kimball, extending priesthood and temple blessings to all worthy male members of the church. President Kimball has asked that I advise the conference that after he had received this revelation, which came to him after extended meditation and prayer in the sacred rooms of the Holy temple, he presented it to his counselors to his counselors. Sorry. It's hard to read and do this at the same time. (laughs) Who accepted it and approved it. It was then presented to the quorum of the twelve apostles who unanimously approved it and was subsequently presented to all other to all other general authorities who likewise approved it in unit who uh, likewise approved it uni- unanimously president kimball has asked that i now read this letter june 8th 1978 to all general and local priesthood officers of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints throughout the world. As we, dear brethren, as we have witnessed the expansion of the work of the Lord over the earth, we have been grateful that people of many nations have responded to the message of the restored gospel and have joined the church in ever-increasing numbers. This, in turn, has inspired us with a desire to extend to every worthy member of the church all of the privileges and blessings which the gospel affords. You know, we just take it for granted. I can't even imagine joining the church and not having going to the temple as a goal. Anyways, aware of the promises made by the prophets and presidents of the church who have preceded us that at some time in God's eternal plan, all of our brethren who are worthy may receive the priesthood and witnessing the faithfulness of those from whom the priesthood has been withheld. We have pled long and earnestly in behalf of these our faithful brethren, spending many hours in the upper room of the temple, supplicating the Lord for divine guidance. 
he has heard our prayers and by revelation has confirmed that the long promised day has come when every faithful worthy man in the church may receive the holy priesthood with power to exercise its divine authority and enjoy with his loved ones every blessing that flows therefrom, including the blessings of the temple. Accordingly, all worthy male members of the church may be ordained to the priesthood without regard for race or color. Priesthood leaders are instructed to follow the policy of carefully interviewing all candidates for ordination to either the Aaronic or the Melchizedek priesthood to ensure that they meet the established standards for worthiness. We declare with soberness that the Lord has now made known his will for the blessing of all his children throughout the, the earth who will hearken to the voice of his authorized servants and prepare themselves to receive every blessing of the gospel. Sincerely yours, Spencer W. Kimball, N. Eldon Tanner, Marion G. Romney, the First Presidency. Recognizing Spencer W. Kimball as the prophet, seer, and revelator, the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it is proposed that we, as a constituent assembly, accept this revelation as the word and the will of the Lord. All in favor, please signify by raising your right hand. Any opposed by the same sign. The vote to sustain the foregoing motion was unanimous in the affirmative. Salt Lake City, Utah, September 30th, 1978. This is just amazing. Just amazing. And there's, uh, maybe I already said, but there were uh, several podcasts that spoke about this. And I felt they gave really good information, specifically the teach- Talking Scriptures podcast. I really like that one. And um, I was going to read uh, two more quotes, maybe just something here. Oh, there's like this QR code in the um, Redheaded Hostess study for this page that will take us to the article and watch President Tanner give this announcement in general conference. That is so cool. Um, This record in the scriptures is directly from this moment at general conference and you can read along as you listen. Oh, that's so cool. And also witness the unanimous vote at the end. That's really neat. I'm going to do that. Um, if you read President Kimball's son's article that was referenced on the last page, so the one that I quoted from, um, many phrases in this announcement will mean a lot more. For example, his phrase, we have pleaded along, pleaded long and earnestly in behalf of these, our faithful brethren will take on new meaning and will also learn about the time they spent in the temple seeking for answers. Speaking of the moment when these 12 apostles received the answer on June 1st, 1978, President Gordon B. Hinckley explained, there was a hallowed and sanctified atmosphere in the room for me. It felt as if a conduit opened between the heavenly throne and the kneeling, pleading prophet of God who was joining his Joined by his brethren, by the power of the Holy Ghost, there came to that prophet an assurance that the thing for which he prayed was right, that the time had come, and that now the wondrous blessings of the priesthood should be extended to worthy men everywhere, regardless of lineage. Every man in that circle, by the power of the Holy Ghost, knew the same thing. Not one of us 
who was present on that occasion was ever quite the same after that. Nor has the church been quite the same. <laughs> That's true. President Gordon B. Hinckley, the Ensign, October 1988. Um, that's so cool. Some questions that the study asks is, what insights have you gained? Ooh, good thing I didn't break. Oh, boy. What insights have you gained as you have studied official declaration two? <laughs> And what can you learn from President Kimball's example of seeking the Lord's answer in this matter? And what is the official position of the church concerning why this policy was original, originally instated? And see introduction to official declaration too. Okay, um, I think that's it for now because it is now Thursday of the week that I was supposed to be done. So thanks for showing up. Say thanks. Say bye-bye. Can you say bye-bye? <laughs> now she's smiling. Can you say bye-bye? Say bye-bye. Yeah, give a wave. Oh, boy. Oh, there it is. She's learning her waves. I love it, miss. Say see ya. I say see ya. Say bye. Can you say bye? Bye-bye. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. She's just smiling at the phone. It's so cute. Um, well, thanks, Flora, for your commentary today. And thank you guys for showing up. I love you. And it's Christmas week <laughs> next week. And it's so exciting. And so we'll see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Can you wave? Can you wave? Give a bye-bye. Thank you. That means we just finished the entire Doctrine and Covenants. And we actually started late. We didn't even start till April. And it's amazing because we caught up and we did it. And we finished an entire book of scripture. So super exciting. Proud of everybody. And even proud of myself. I think I need to go celebrate with a treat. So uh it, and it's before christmas and it's before the end of the year so amazing so this this week we're actually covering the um family proclamation so we will be doing that soon all right see you then